Good morning and welcome to our Tuesday morning chapel. If you take out the hymn for today, hymn 537, just a few notes about the hymn before we sing it together. It's given the name uh, Deus Irae, and um, it's an ancient Latin hymn. Uh, it was written in the Middle Ages. Some think it may, it may go back as far as Gregory the Great in the 500s. Uh, others think maybe Bernard of Clairvaux in the 1100s. Um, Thomas Solano is one that probably receives, uh, or the, the name is attached most commonly. You'll see there's a question mark by his name up at the top uh, from the uh, 1200s, a Franciscan monk. Uh, you'll notice that uh, if you've never sung this before, it has a very haunting melody. Um, other great musicians picked up this melody. Uh, Mozart, Brahms, Haydn, Liszt, Rachmaninoff, Tchaikovsky. If you're into more modern rock and roll, Jethro Tull. Um, have all uh, played off of this melody in different ways. You know, de and during the years of the Middle Ages, uh, there was so much death around with plagues and various problems, a lot of health issues, and uh, the reality of, of death being so present in your life was, and the brevity, the shortness of life, was something that was on people's minds a lot. I remember reading at one point that the... Uh, uh, many communities in, in Europe would toll, or would ring the bell when someone died, and sometimes it got so frequent that people just asked them to stop, stop ringing the bells because it was just such a constant reminder. So this, this hymn kind of comes out of that type of an era, and even though it does have this kind of haunting melody to it, um, uh, another thing to note is through the hymn how the gospel does shine through and that the church has always possessed and loved the precious knowledge we have of Christ uh, all the way back um, in, in time and ages. So let us join in singing the verses indicated of our hymn.
Our scripture reading for today is uh, select verses of Psalm 73. And the psalmist Asaph writes, Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride serves as their necklace, violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance, they have more than a heart could wish. They say, how does God know, and is there any knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease, they increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence, for all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me, until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places, you cast them down to destruction, Oh, how they are, are brought to desolation as in a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth. We pray that you would increase our faith through them. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Down in Mexico, there is a drug lord by the name of Ismael Zambada, and his nickname is El Mayo because he is so prevalent and dominant in his region that he is considered to be like the mayor of the region. And uh, he is the head of the Sinaloa uh, drug cartel. It's estimated that his worth is about $3 billion. He lives a life of luxury. He is responsible for hundreds, some people estimate thousands of deaths. Um, over one weekend, he asked for and called upon the killing of 11 newspaper and television reporters uh, for speaking against him and got their executions taken care of, just in one weekend. I also know a wonderful Christian woman in a congregation that I served whose husband was sadly very abusive to her, and he abandoned her with her children, and... She has had to struggle throughout her life in poverty, as loves her Savior, loves God's Word, and uh, so devoted to her church and wanting to care for the things of God. So why in the world does God let someone like Ismail Zambada, such a pig, get to live in such luxury, and someone like this wonderful Christian woman suffer and struggle throughout her life. There really is no justice in this world sometimes. Malachi says, the proud are raised up, those who tempt God go free. Evil people in our world can often be very successful in this life. Their lives can sometimes go pretty smoothly and things can cruise along pretty well for them. They could care less about the things of God, they could care less about Christ, about about the whole issue of sin, about being prepared for the final day, 
and their lives just go along very nice and easily. And they go about their evil activities with no guilt in their conscience, no pangs of conscience at all. And meanwhile, there are devout followers of our Lord who love God and love his word, who are toiling along in this Christian life, sometimes not doing so well. They're paying very close attention to what God wants for their life. They're applying his word and his commandments to the things in their life. And, and they're, they're, they're trying very intently to make sure that as a believer that they're, they're going along with what their Lord would want. They're processing everything in their world and life through the word of God and understanding that. And their consciences bother them when they mess up and they make mistakes and they slip and fall and it troubles them inside and, and they bring that back to God in repentance and they take sin so seriously and they ask the Lord to forgive them, and which he so graciously does. And they realize how important it is for them to know about God and his grace. But really in the end, living a godly life struggling along with our sin and everything, it doesn't seem to really get us anywhere. It doesn't really seem to improve our lives. In fact, sometimes it seems like it can make us, it can make us feel almost more miserable. Listen to what Asaph says when he looks at himself, con considering how the, the wicked people in the world can do so well, and then how he struggles with this. Listen to what he says. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I've been plagued and chastened every morning. All of this concern about God and his will and applying it to ourselves and trying to live a life of repentance and faith in our Savior, going through that struggle with our sinful human flesh and everything, uh, coming back to God over and over again sometimes with the same sin, and others just make a mockery of all of this and laugh at it all and think it's so ridiculous. Sometimes it's easy for the Christian in this world to, to look at our faith life and to feel like it's just kind of pointless. It doesn't seem to really get us anywhere or make any progress at all. And sometimes the way the world would analyze being a believer and laughing at it and mocking us and so on and thinking that it's of no benefit to us, there's times when our own hearts maybe want to agree with that and think, yeah, there's maybe some truth to that. So when we, when we try to process all of this and make sense of it all, it can be very challenging for us sometimes. There are three logical conclusions that you could draw. If you're just basing, looking at this basing purely on logic, you could either conclude, well, there's maybe really no God, that's why this happens, or the God that exists doesn't have any real power to change anything. Or possibly that there's something evil inside of God that he enjoys watching people suffer. He enjoys even watching his righteous, his believers, have to go through things that are difficult and suffer. Th those are the logical answers to this when we process this purely through human reason. Asaph, in fact, gets to the point, I didn't put this passage in, but he gets to the point where he even says, I know, I, it's almost like he says, I know I shouldn't talk like this in front of believers, but this is kind of how it seems. But then all of a sudden there's a turn in this text. There's a pivot that takes place, and it's rather dramatic. Everything hinges on this one verse. Take a look at it. He says, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful to me, 
And then he says, until, that's the key turning word in this text, until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their end. When you finally are brought into the presence of God and his word, and where he teaches us the truth about about how the ways of his kingdom operate, suddenly it all begins to fall into place. And there is an end coming, there is a judgment coming for the evil and wickedness of this world that right now seems to triumph and seems to, seems to be advantageous. But there's a, there's a judgment coming for that. And so when Asaph goes into the house of the Lord, just like when we go into God's house and, and hear his word, in the presence of God's instruction through his word, this is where things begin to make sense for us. And that, that, that time of evil reigning is going to come to an end. And God doesn't give us a full and complete knowledge of how this all takes place. Uh, St. Paul says, now we look through a glass darkly. Now we're trying to stare at and understand these things like the way you look through the stained glass windows. You can kind of see some of it, but... But it still hasn't made it entirely clear to us. But certainly in glory, everything will be very clear to us. The sanctuary of God that, that Asaph goes into is where uh, everything stays in its proper perspective. And there's at least a, a, a partial resolution of it for us. And the mysteries of God's governance of things in the world are at least partly disclosed to us. Listen to what Martin Luther says about this text. All this confusion is cleared up by the light of the gospel and the knowledge of grace, okay, God's undeserved love for us through Christ, which teaches us that though the wicked flourish in their bodies, yet they perish in their souls. So God is still in control of all things, and he will ultimately bring his justice on the evil in the world, but it's of great importance that we continue to hold on to Christ and his wonderful forgiveness and grace that loves us. And that's why God continues to invite us into his sanctuary. That's why he says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So right now we may still be puzzled by this at times, but someday in glory, through faith in our Savior, who's won that for us by his holiness that he gives us by faith, we will finally fully see and understand God's hand in all of this. But in the meantime, the just shall live by faith. Amen. Please rise for prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, keep me always prepared for the final day through faith in your Son. I thank and praise you for granting me a knowledge of him and your grace. Preserve me in this throughout my life that I may someday be in your presence forevermore. I ask it all in my Lord's saving name. Amen. Bows.
May the triune God of your baptism, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless and preserve you. Go in his peace. Amen. Thank you.